Welcome, welcome everyone to another episode of the Bastards of Boston Baseball. We want to shout out any new listeners who are joining us for the very first time. We're happy to have you on board. For those of you who have been here from the start, you already know the drill. We live and die by this team just like the rest of you, and we make no apologies for that. I'm your host, Jason Kelly, coming to you from Canton, Massachusetts. If you want to find us on Twitter, you can check out the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Joining me tonight on the show from Reading, Pennsylvania, is Micah Storms. Micah, how we doing? Hey, Jason. Um, nice to talk to you about a series win, although I was telling Terry before you came on um, that it really didn't feel like a series win. It was just playing the Royals and all the tight games that they were in. It just And then the lopsided game in game two, it didn't feel like they took three out of four, but that's what they ended up doing, and that's a, a good enough result for me. So I'll take it, but it, it was a little strange, a little strange. Yeah, definitely a weird series. Hard to get really any buzz when you're facing the Royals, who are just directionless as a team. And yeah, even though you took three out of four, very sleepy offensive series, which we'll get to, but hey, we'll take it, right? Uh, also joining us tonight from Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, by way of Wyndham, Maine, is Terry Cushman. Terry, how are you? Pretty good. Figured I'd wait till it was my turn to crack my Red Bull open. Uh, I don't know. Is is taurine a, a performance enhancing drug for podcasters? Like, am I doping right now? I don't know. Uh, you might be slightly. Yeah. yeah I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know. know what the MLB policy is on that. But <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, to add on to Micah's uh, thoughts here, uh, you know, it's a three to one win. That sounds great, right? You only gained one on the Blue Jays for the next wild card. And you, you also have the Mariners in front of you who are like smoking hot right now, even after trading their closer. Um, I think they took at least two out of three against the Padres, who have also had, had a bit of a rebound. But. Um, but yeah, so all that hard work, you gain one game, like that's how big four or five games is at this point. And, um, I promise everybody, this is going to be a mostly positive show, but you didn't have Justin Turner for three games. And we talked about this before we came on. If this was earlier in the season with the type of foot injury that he has, he's on the injured list for four to six weeks. So He's not going to be healthy the rest of the way, and they'll try to they'll try to you know get him through it. Luke Voigt was hobbling around the bases like a pirate, I think, the season before last, uh, hitting tons of bombs and doing what he had to do. So perhaps Turner can do that, but they said his power will be affected by it. So not good news there, and. Uh, yeah, so I, I think that's about it. So Red Sox fourth place, five games above 500, 11 back of the division, four games back of the uh, third wild card spot. Baltimore still leading, uh, won seven of their last 10 and have recently acquired Jack Flaherty. I just realized nobody in the division really did anything as far as trading. No. You know, it was Baltimore getting Flaherty, and the Yankees picked up a reliever for no reason whatsoever. <laughs> um, Blue Jays picked up a couple of guys. They picked they, they got uh, Jordan Hicks from oh. St. Louis, but okay, well that that nothing, is somewhat significant, I would say. 
Yeah, nothing like earth shattering though. You're right. It's not it wasn't like a Verlander or Scherzer type of move in the division. Yeah. In my fantasy league today, Charlie's in it, so is Nick, uh Cody's in it. I uh, I had to blow my team up. <laughs> and uh I've got 17 picks in the first uh 10 rounds. <laughs> so, got tons of picks. Yeah. I did the right thing unlike Hein Bloom. But uh, anyway, so uh, let's uh, let's get going. We got the midweek top five. Yes, yeah, midweek top five. Like we said, you know, series win. Uh, didn't gain a ton of ground. This is why that Blue Jays series over the last weekend really hurt you, I think. But, hey, you take the three out of four against a crap team. That's what you should do. So we're going to give you our midweek top five. Coming in at number five on the list, Micah, who's leading us off. At number five is Nick Pavetta, and it was another solid outing out of Pavetta. I wouldn't say it was by far his best outing. Um, he went five innings, four hits, two earn, two walks, eight Ks, but it was really just the two mistakes to Melendez that got him. I, I don't know why you look at that. If you look at Melendez's stats against the Red Sox and against the rest of the league, it's just drastically different. I don't know what it is about him. Or Cal Rally, I don't know who's worse against the Red Sox. I don't know who I'd like to see in the batter's box. I, I don't know, but Melendez has the Red Sox number and Pavetta's number, but that was really it for Pavetta, those two home runs, and then he was solid for five innings. And he, he, he really helped the pitching staff because he was throwing on three days rest as opposed to normal rest. Um, so that was big because we didn't want to see another bullpen game. I think... I think we are out of the bullpen game era for <laughs> at least the near future with Sale coming back. And I think it's safe to say that Nick Pavetta is officially a starter again. So I'm excited about that. I don't want to see a bullpen game. I think Sale will probably be a piggyback uh, game, but no five bullpen arms coming out of the end of the bullpen, which I'm glad about that. But Pavetta, I think he's been the most consistent starter since he's gone to the pen or uh, pitcher bulk, whatever you want to call him. He's been solid. I feel really comfortable when he is in the game. Home run ball has started to hurt him a little bit. I think he gave up one against Toronto, two against Kansas city. So definitely something to keep an eye on because when he isn't going well, the ball does seem to be flying out of the ballpark, so we got to keep an eye on that. But if you're going to give up home runs, you minus will make them solo shots, and that's what he did against Kansas City. So Pavetta, another strong outing um, at number five. Terry? I just can't buy into Nick Pavetta. I, I don't know why. I, and I'm talking long term. It's just I just don't think he can – I, I don't think he can really sustain the, the consistency. I, I'd be more optimistic if he did go back to a bulk role. But as for this series, uh, he did pitch pretty well. Not super efficient. You would have loved to have seen a sixth, perhaps a seventh inning out of him. But you still got him through five. And um, only the two earned runs uh, given up. Eight strikeouts as well. So... You'll, you're just taking what you can get. You know, every good, especially from a starting pitching standpoint, every quality start he gives you, basically, that's a bonus to me. And you just pass the baton to the next guy, and um, that that's it. 
and I'll be curious to see if uh, if he's on next year's roster. Um, so many questions, anyway. Uh, you know, in terms of what uh, you know the early stages of free agency will look like, but solid solid outing. Yeah, Nick Pavetta is always going to give up home runs. That's just who he is. You know, you, you can expect, you know, when he's in the rotation regularly, you can expect 30-plus starts. You can expect an ERA over four, mid four, somewhere around there. Um, you can expect high strikeout games, but he does give up the long ball, and that was the only thing that bit him in his last start. And, yeah, MJ Melendez, who just uh, apparently has it out, for the Red Sox, you know, I, I joked about Cal Rowley in the Seattle series that he's the new Rowdy Telez of the American League. Maybe MJ Melendez is, you know, again, thank God we don't play the Royals that much because um guy who hit 220 comes into Fenway and just rakes. So, um, yeah, he made a couple of mistakes, but he held it together. And you know what? Like you said, Micah, they were solo shots. You'll take that at the end of the day. If you know Nick Pavetta is going to give up home runs, at least he's giving them up with nobody on base. And your offense – that day at least did its job and gave him run support at least enough. So uh, to get the win. So yeah, another solid outing. And in terms of his long-term future, it's going to be really interesting because, you know, I think we all agree that Nick Pavetta, we've probably seen the best of him. His best days are behind him, but he's also just a good arm to have, you know, whether it's in a bulk role or, a depth arm. And I know that he probably doesn't want to be that he probably wants to be a full-time starter, but if they can somehow bring him into the mix next year as either a back-end starter or a bulk guy, again, I'm totally okay with that. I think he's proven that he belongs in, in that role and he belongs on this team. So I would actually rather they find a way to bring him back than let him go at this point. Uh, one other thing I'll, I'll mention about Pavetta, he did calm down after the home runs because he does have a tendency to get rattled, not just with home runs, but if he doesn't get the call from the umpire, that can kind of send him into a tailspin for a couple of at-bats. So you didn't really see that from him uh, this series, uh, which you know was good. Um, also, Melendez is interesting because he came up as a highly touted catching prospect and he's not catching at all. So I don't know if there were defensive concerns there, uh, but you get that for mean kid uh, catching half the games. And I think Salvador Perez still does as well, you know, in addition to playing first. But interestingly, it was uh, the Wednesday night game, game three. Melendez nearly made a really good catch in left field in it it bounced off the heel of his glove and had he made that catch, the inning ends two runs don't score. So it ended up being very costly, but it'll be interesting to see how his career goes. He's, he's only hitting right around 220 the last couple of years. He does draw a lot of walks and he hits for decent pop. I think let's see this season. He's got, well, just 12 home runs. He hit 18 last year. So that's probably what he's about on pace for. So we'll see. But you, you can slowly see like a core of players uh, kind of resembling what you saw almost a decade ago when they went to the World Series twice. That Waters kid, uh, Fermin, uh, is having a good year. 
Uh, Bobby Witt Jr., Melendez. I think I'm missing one more in there. The their three hold hitter. Um, oh, what's his name? Massey. Uh, so it's a nice little core that they're building there. Yeah, they've also got Vinny Pascatino, who's hurt right now, I believe. Who he looks like he's their first baseman of the future. So there is a nice little core going on there in Kansas City. I just wish that they would stop trying to put Salvador Perez on the trade block, which is kind of weird after giving a contract extension. Um, yeah, Melendez seems like they're Blake Swihart, where they thought he would be a catcher coming up, and now they're not quite sure. They're putting him in the outfield pretty much primarily at this point. So uh, maybe he's better suited out there. Doesn't call games great behind the plate. I don't know. But he's a menace against the Red Sox, that's for sure. So wherever they put him, um, hopefully you know he's I don't know, under the weather next time we got to play the Royals or something. Uh, sticking with the starting rotation, coming in at number four this week is James Paxton. He pitched in the series finale tonight, a two nothing win for him. Um, again, kind of, you know, same thing with Pavetta, like didn't go as deep as he's used to going just five and a third, but he was great. Struck out six, um, looked really sharp. Um, and this was a guy that I was unsure if I really wanted him post-deadline, um, I was advocating to trade him because he's done after this year. I, I don't imagine the Red Sox are going to bring him back after this season. So I sort of was in the mode of, I know that they're in it. I know that at the trade deadline, they were, you know, just barely a few games out of the wild card. But Paxson, to me, was a guy you should have sold on because I don't care what people say. He had value out there. There will be some Red Sox defenders, Bloom defenders, who will try and tell you that, James Paxton didn't have the value that we think he did. Uh, that's bull crap. Every starting pitcher who's healthy and can give you six plus innings of what James Paxton gave you tonight has value. So the Red Sox absolutely could have gotten something for him, but I think Bloom balked on the idea. Um, maybe he thought, Hey, we're, we're not far out of it. Let's keep him." His first start after the deadline was not great, but this was a nice bounce back for him. It, it was a, you know, vintage sort of James Paxson performance. Um, again, the only thing that was an anomaly is he only went five and a third. Usually he's much more efficient with his pitches. So Kansas City has a little bit of that pesky lineup where they'll foul off a lot of pitches. They'll they'll get the pitch count high, and, you know, that's just sort of their identity. It has been for a long time. So I would expect Paxson's next outing. He'll give you the usual six, maybe seven, that he's he's typically been doing this season. So Good start for him, and hey, at this point, the deadline's over and done with. He's here. Let's just hope that every five days he takes the ball and gives you performances like this because right now, with this team where it is, still fighting in that wild card race, they need that. Uh, Micah, what were your thoughts on Paxson this week? I agree with you, Jason. I think he had a ton of trade value. Um, I'm not saying I, I would have been able to pull that move off um, because to me, with how the rotation was and kind of currently is if you trade him you're you're definitely waving the white flag you might also trade turner and the other guys but definitely value especially with how cheap he was um but another good outing coming into this game he had given up six home runs and five starts so the home run ball has definitely been a concern he got blasted against toronto um in game one of that series and tonight the matchup worked well in his favor because the Royals don't hit a, a lot of home runs, despite what they did on Tuesday and Wednesday. 
I think they hit four and then three home runs or something like that, but they don't hit a lot of home runs as a team. So this was a good matchup for him. It was kind of like a get right game. And he definitely was in full control of this game, which was good to, good to see. The one thing that I, I found interesting was in May, his average fastball velocity was 96 miles per hour. And this month, it's been 94.9. So the, the, the velo is definitely coming down. And I think that's just the fact that it's the, the wear and tear of a season that he has not experienced in quite some time, pretty much three years, which for a starting pitcher is significant. So the fastball velo, with him not having elite fastball, um, velocity, he's got to be pretty pinpoint with his control, and I think that's why the home runs have gone up because he hasn't been very good locating the ball. Tonight was much better, and he didn't give up any home runs. So hopefully um, either it was a mechanical issue or whatever, but hopefully the location continues like it did tonight and we see fewer balls going over the fence and some quality starts from Paxton because they're going to need it. They, they, they need him to kind of be an anchor with Bayo because we don't know what we're going to get on a nightly basis from Crawford, Chris Sale, who knows, and Pavetta. He's been pretty consistent, but you don't know two out of the five times through the rotation what you're really going to get. So you need Paxton like he was tonight. Terry, thoughts on Paxton? When we were making our picks for this uh, series uh, on the early week uh, crew, I had the Red Sox losing the Bayo start and losing the Crawford start, and the Royals had won seven out of nine coming into this. So I thought, okay, they're hot. Bayo hasn't looked super great. But the, the Paxton start was the one I felt the best about, and he looked pretty good tonight. I mean, he, he did have six hits sprinkled in there but uh you know still struck out six which i think is still a pretty good number uh micah mentioned the drop in velo i think towards the end uh he did he did touch 97 a couple of times he just wasn't doing it with consistency i think he was just trying to you know empty the tank and and get those final few outs but you you know it, it 94 miles an hour to be averaging that that's pretty good i mean that's okay that's serviceable as long as he can adapt to it um a, a big concern for him is just his mechanics i mean a couple of games he completely lost them i mean um, maybe a month or so ago he pitched two very good solid innings and then the third inning he just completely loses it and he was out after that and then his last start, he, uh, he, I think he went a little bit deeper, but he gave up a bunch of runs. It was a non-competitive start. So that is who Paxton is. That's why his numbers aren't super glossy. They're not terrible. I mean, he's been a, a consistent, you know, number two pitcher, I would say, throughout his career. So as long as the fastball velocity doesn't dip, you know, much more than that. I think he's going to continue to give you a chance and, you know, he's a veteran and hopefully he continues to figure it out. And certainly you hope that it's not leading to any sort of injury because been lucky so far, but uh, 
this is a guy who missed almost three years of pitching due to injury. So uh, let's hope it's not leading to anything like that. But I agree. I, I think that he'll figure it out and it shouldn't be a concern going forward. Um, coming in at number three this week, Terry, something a little different, I think. <laughs> I'm the outside the box guy on this crew. So it may as well be me to do this one. Uh, number three on the midweek top five. It's not a person. It's not a thing. It's a place. So it's still a noun. We're, we're going to stick there. Mike is a teacher. So I, I started my take like that for him. Um, some weird stuff. Some weird stuff. I, I forget who the batter was. I it might have been Melendez. I don't quote me, but um, you know, ripped a line drive off the monster. It went through the red light that would have lit up had there been a strike uh, at that part of the count, and the ball went in it. And it was kind of weird to watch because you saw the ball going for the wall. You knew it was going to bounce off the wall, and all of a sudden it disappears, and then. Masataki Yoshida is running around in circles and like mass confusion. Like, where's the ball? Where's the ball? And uh, it was in the monster. The monster ate the ball. So the Red Sox benefited there because I think there was a runner on first and there was. And because it went into the light, it was a ground rule double. So even though he crossed the plate, they had to back him up to third and I want to say the Royals got out of the inning. Later on in the game, uh, you know, the players on the right side, the first baseman, I think the second baseman and the right fielder lost the ball in the lights. Uh, that was costly. A run did score on that. Uh, tonight, uh, I forget who hit it again. Bad on the note-taking, but um, there was a line drive out to uh, left field and it looked like it was hooking foul, but it caught the yellow foul post that goes up the monster and uh, it took a weird bounce off it. So that was even more of a dead giveaway. It did hit the, uh, it did hit the post. I do know Pablo uh, Reyes was the runner on second. He was uh, able to come in and score on that. So, that's how one of the two runs that ultimately got scored tonight came in. So, um, yeah. Was that Verdugo that hit that, now that I'm thinking? That was Rafi Devers. Oh, it was Devers who did it. Okay. Um, Verdugo had the other uh, run batted in. That's why I was curious about him. I want to say I'm missing one more weird thing. Uh, we're going to talk about another weird thing later on, but... Um, Feel free to add, but Fenway Park and its uniqueness uh, certainly certainly benefited uh, the Red Sox in this series. Micah, thoughts on uh, the ghosts of Fenway in this series chipping in? Yeah, this is why I love baseball and especially Fenway Park. I mean, you just you truly never know with the ladder on the monster and the weird triangle in center field and down the line in right field. It just so many weird things can happen, weird bounces. And you know it's weird when Joe Castiglione says, I've never seen that happen at Fenway Park with the light, the ball going into the light. You just, you would think that that would have happened by now, just with all the balls that have gone out in that direction. But watching Yoshida just spin around in confusion, that was hilarious. And 
the Red Sox definitely benefited from a lot of these weird Fenway plays, which surprisingly they actually benefited because of how poorly they've been defensively. You would just think, well, these weird things, they just went against the Red Sox. But for whatever reason, the baseball gods were on the Red Sox side in this series, and they actually needed it because their offense was pretty lifeless, and they they scored a couple of runs, um, a couple of the few runs they've scored in the series on these weird plays. Uh, Terry, another play that came to mind was just the Melendez diving play, like, you know, Maybe if we're not at Fenway and a short left field, maybe he has time to get under that line drive if he's a little deeper, um, you know, but it went off the palm of his glove because he dove, he overdove. Um, just a, another weird play. It was just a strange series. And again, I didn't feel like the Red Sox won three out of four. And I think some of these plays kind of fed into the the feeling of, did they really win? Because they were given so many runs that, I think a good defensive team and maybe a little less luck, they wouldn't have scored nearly as many as they did. There have been a lot of opposing players through the years who have said that Fenway Park is their least favorite ballpark to play at. And this series, I kind of understand why. Because you get a, what should have been a triple, RBI triple taken away from a light bulb. Like, that's just... That's bizarre. Um, you know, you, you had all this, the Pablo Reyes Grand Slam, like just barely hooked it just right to hit the foul pole on the monster. Um, yeah, that, we hear it all the time. There are players who tell you that, yeah, playing at Fenway sucks. My favorite one of all time was Luke Scott, who played for the Tampa Bay Rays, and he despised Fenway Park, and he, he openly said it. In an interview, I think it was after a, a Rays Red Sox series at Fenway, where he said, "Yeah, that ballpark is trash. It's one of the worst in the league," which I always thought was ironic because he plays for the Rays, so you play half your games at Tropicana Field, which is an oversized toilet. Um, Fenway Park just has a lot of weird angles, character things to it. There was even the Adam Duvall, you know, Fenway single that he hit that went in between the spokes on the ladder. Whereas if that had actually hit the ladder, it might have like caromed off to the side and made something weird happen. Like it, he just barely missed doing that. So Fenway does give you a lot of weird opportunities for just strange plays that you never thought you would saw happen. Um, and luckily they benefited the Red Sox this series. They have, we have been known to see some unfortunate ones go against us, um, but it benefited the Red Sox this time. And I'm sure the Royals were frustrated by it, but hey, it's it's part of the game. You got to go on the road. You got to play in these weird ballparks. You know, it's it's no different than going to Yankee Stadium, where a pop up to right field could be a home run if the wind is blowing out. So, um, hey, Fenway giveth and Fenway taketh away, but it was it was giving this series for sure. Uh, real quick, so Kyle Isbell was the the guy that hit that, and he's typically their nine hole hitter. So, uh, you know, he'll never get a hit like that the rest of his career. But here's an awesome tweet I found when I was trying to um, pull up the other developments uh, from Brian Murphy at Spokes underscore Murphy. He says. Fenway has been hosting baseball games since the week the Titanic sank, literally. 
And I'm going to guess nobody has seen this in 111 years before tonight. Isn't that crazy? It, it really, I think the Titanic sank. It was definitely in 1912, and I think it was April 12th of that year. So just crazy. Yep. It's an old ballpark, and uh, I'm just glad that, you know, we haven't torn it down, that it's still here. I know a lot of Boston fans feel differently, but uh, I'm glad that they put the money into it, kept it alive, and uh, that we're, we're still getting to play ball games here because, again, you never see stuff like that in any other ballpark. All these other just generic, boring ballparks around the league, at least we have one that's got a lot of character. And you know what? If you don't like playing there, too bad, <laughs> quite frankly. So, uh, so moving on to number two on our top five, Terry, who do we got? I'm up again. All right. So number two on the list. And before I say his name, it's kind of pretty stunning that he doesn't end up on this list more often than he does given his role. But number two on this list is going to be Kenley Jansen, who is utilized in three out of the four games. Uh, game one, he um, nearly had a, a perfect inning, um, you know, pitched a full inning, struck out two. Uh, we were blown out in game two, so he wasn't needed for that one. Did give up a solo home run uh, in game three. It did bring the score to within one run, but uh, and then he drew a walk. So it wasn't the best, but still notched the save, and then there was no... Uh, ill effects from that outing because he comes in tonight, gives you another full inning in the ninth, strikes out two again. So everything you want to see from Kenley Jansen, you're, you're seeing basically. He's still striking guys out at an extremely high rate, and he's holding it down in the ninth inning, you know, doing exactly what you want to see a $16 million a year closer do. So... Of all the things that we rag on Bloom for, this is um, certainly a thing he did get right last winter. And um, if he could only have more opportunities um, to, to save some games, uh, you know, he led all of MLB last year. That probably wouldn't have been the case this year, no matter what. But still, I mean, a top five or six reliever in Major League Baseball, I would say even at this stage of his career. Absolutely. Yeah. Micah. Yeah. A lot of people don't, I feel like a lot hate on the fact that Jansen is the closer of this team. They don't really like the fact that they spend $16 million on him, but there's no question in my mind, this team would be five to 10 games under 500 if it wasn't for Chris Martin and Kenley Jansen at the back of the bullpen. Because last year we saw the Red Sox just unable to hold a lead, and it was because they didn't have that guy. They knew they could turn the ball over in a tight game, and he's going to convert the save. And this year it's just a completely different feeling, even though sometimes I'm like, ooh, it's a little shaky. If he walks somebody, they're going to steal on him. Like I, I do still feel a little nervous sometimes when Jansen comes in. Um, but even recently he's been holding runners on better with a slide step. Um, 
Reese McGuire, got to shout him out for that throw from his knees in the ninth inning because without that, I think it would have been a man on second base with one out, I think, only in the inning. So that would have definitely changed the ninth inning there, definitely a little bit more intense. Um, but he's 26 of 29 in save opportunities. It's tough to get much better than that. And, I w- you know, today he showed back-to-back days. That's been a concern, which is, you know – as they go down this stretch, they're going to need to use Jansen back-to-back games if they want to try to get back in this. So he's been great, and I think he's definitely been a little underappreciated um, among the entire fan base. I definitely think there are fans who who definitely are appreciative of his work, but overall, um, he's been huge. Him and Martin have transformed that bullpen to being very respectable. Yeah, I remember when the signing first happened and then we heard about all the new rules in terms of, you know, the picking runners off, base stealing, all that. My biggest concern was that he's very, very slow and deliberate to the plate. So my biggest fear was if he gets a speedy guy on base, they're going to run wild on him because he takes forever to throw. Well, a good way to avoid that is don't let anybody get on base, which in general he's done a pretty good job of. I mean, this series – didn't really do it except, you know, gave up a home run, but luckily he had a two-run lead, didn't really burn him. Um, that back end of the bullpen is so much more secure now. And I, I agree with you, Michael. Like, I think people still don't really appreciate just how good Jansen has been over the course of the whole season. Um, and it's almost like, do, do you remember what last year was? Do you remember those couple of years when the Red Sox just did not have a closer and it was just – Whoever Alex Cora could trust at the time, he's going to wheel him out there. I mean, it was Matt Barnes closing games for a couple, like for a little bit. That's terrifying to think about now. Um, So Jansen's been worth every penny that they spent on him. It sucks that you have to spend a premium on closers, but that's the way the game is now. Um, I'd much rather spend that money because you are the Boston Red Sox. You can afford it as opposed to just, okay, who are we picking out of the wheel of gutless bumps to go out there and close a game this time? Because that was terrifying every time that would take place. So that back end is so much more secure now. And you're starting to see the bridge that Cora has a lot of confidence in the Winkowski, Martin, Jansen bridge. Um, we all thought that Schreiber would kind of go back to being the seventh inning guy. I think that he's still getting his feet under him. I think he's still kind of figuring things out after coming back from the IL, but if Schreiber can do that, if he can return to the form he was in last year, now you have a six, seven, eight, ninth inning. Just that's all set. The bridge is there. And if Nick Pavetta or James Paxson can only go five innings, suddenly that's that's kind of okay. Um, I agree that not being able to pitch back-to-back games, that's frustrating, but it's also goes with the deal of signing a, a you know, closer in his mid thirties who has a lot of mileage on him. So that kind of came with the territory. I assume that, you know, they knew that going in, they'll plan for it going forward, but yeah, he's been, he's been great. I mean, a couple of blips on the radar here and there, but for the most part, he's been exactly what you hoped he would be at $16 million. Yeah, sure. I, I, you know, no problem with that. I'll take another year of that. Absolutely. So dynamite. And you were talking about the bridge, you know, if they can get Garrett Whitlock back, that bridge just gets extended even further. And who knows 
we it's kind of uncertain exactly the the type of velocity that Whitlock is gonna bring, but I still trust him in in a, in a relief role, one two innings. I, I, they could literally turn games into five inning games, and not every night, but on a on a night when Cutter Crawford is starting, a five inning start. If if we need Cutter Crawford to go five innings, two three runs, then go four you know four straight relievers. That's possible now, you know, with the guys they have, with Whitlock coming back. I just worry, is the damage going to be done already because they've used these guys so much over the last two months? Are we going to start seeing that in the month of September, just the wear and tear? Winkowski alone, he's thrown the most innings out of any reliever in baseball. And we have seen him go through stretches where he loses it and he's not as sharp. What does he look like in September? Because he's never done this. He's been a starter his entire life. So how does he respond in the month of September when he's up in the 50s and 60s of, of appearances? That's kind of TBD at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Usage is definitely going to be um, very important down the stretch, especially going through September. And if there are playoffs after that, going to be very important. I do agree, though, Whitlaw coming back. That's going to help a lot. And who knows? Maybe he's the guy who, okay, Jansen can't go tonight. Let's put Whitlock in in the eighth and just have him do a two-inning save. Maybe that's the plan going forward. We'll see. But he will definitely help out once he gets back. So rounding out the top five this week, uh, Micah, who do we got? Coming in at number one is Pablo Reyes. And this was a huge series for Reyes, not just – the fact that he was eight for 15, but this was a huge series for his career because he had a huge game and a huge swing on Monday night where he hits the walk-off grand slam. And I'd be curious to, to see what you think, you know, if he had gone say Oh, for four with three K's, would he be the one that was designated for assignment? I, I was kind of wondering that, or, or was Chang always going to be the odd man out and, and Ray is, Kind of, uh, I'll let you you jump in, Terry. But I was wondering if Reyes was going to be the guy. Or did that game really um, kind of keep his spot? I, I thought for sure it could have been on the line, and that Reyes sealed it. But Cora said the next day that the decision had already been made. Chang was going to be the odd man out. Okay, fair enough. But that is a lot easier to say after a guy hits a walk off grand slam. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, true, true. <laughs> I mean, could you imagine the uh, the Red Sox Twitter if they would have DFA'd Pablo Reyes after a walk-off Grand Slam? Like, oh my gosh, I couldn't imagine that. But um, fair enough, I didn't. I did miss that quote, but that is. Uh, I was wondering that the entire game, but he he definitely he was the entire offense. It felt like this entire series. It was really quiet from pretty much everyone else down the lineup. Maybe Casas had a, a decent series, but. Ray is going eight for 15 and he was driving the ball all over the ballpark, extra base hits, really impressive. He played solid defense at shortstop, which at least for the next week or two is going to be super important because it seems like Trevor story is going to be shortstop one day off day the next day, and maybe even two off days um, until he gets back at short. So his defense at shortstop is going to be important, but I think if stories at short, you could make a case that Reyes needs to be at second base 
and his bat needs to be in the lineup. I thought it was a good move by Alex Cora to slide Duran down. He's really been scuffling over the last seven or ten games and putting Reyes at the leadoff spot and getting him extra at-bats against lefties. I really liked that move. But I think the fact that they acquired Reyes, who was in double A for the A's, and the value that he has provided makes me even madder. More mad matter. I should know that as a teacher, but I, I, I'm not. It's it's 11.15, so I don't know if, what, what it is. But it makes me angrier, I'll go with that, that they didn't make a move at the deadline for a pitcher because you don't need to acquire a Justin Verlander to make a big impact. Pablo Reyes has made a huge impact on this roster, and he was in double A for the Oakland Athletics. Now, obviously, that was kind of a dart throw, but they hit on that dart throw. And, you know, Michael Lorenzen for now the Phillies, he didn't cost that much. The number six prospect for the Philadelphia Phillies, and he has been incredible in his two starts. It, it didn't, you didn't need to spend crazy prospect capital to get a player that could have impacted this roster. And Pablo Reyes is a great example of that. So I'm glad Pablo Reyes is on this Red Sox roster, but at the same time, I look at the, the the lack of moves at the deadline and I just scratch my head because there were moves out there to be made to improve this roster. Terry, any other thoughts on Reyes? Yeah, I've been a big Reyes fan all along. Um, do I think he's an everyday guy? No, not really. But I, I've liked him and I, I've seen value there from him all along. And Against lefties, I mean, that's kind of where he, you know, throughout his career, he's been uh, most valuable. I thought I had that page up. Um, he is a, against lefties in his career, a 306 hitter with a, a 360 on base. Against righties, not so, you know, not so robust. 225 with a 293 on base. He, Hasn't really shown a ton of power, but I mean, if you look at his career numbers, he's been adequate. You know, he's been adequate. His worst season was uh, his second year. That was, let's see, 2019. He hit just 203 with a 274 on base. But still, when you're when you're on base, at 70 points higher than your batting average. You're you're drawing walks. But um, he's been off the charts this season. He's hitting like 460-something against lefties, just absolutely mashing against them. And what was so cool about that Grand Slam was it was off a righty. Carlos Hernandez, who I'm not familiar with, um, he's been in the league for three years, and um, Reyes crushed him. And it was a big moment, and... Weirdly enough, if the bases are loaded, yeah, you probably prefer Justin Turner to be up. And then probably after him, you prefer Devers. But Reyes is a pesky hitter. Like, a lot of his hits just seem to be impactful. Well-timed when runners are in scoring position. He just seems to come through in those moments. And he's more than adequate defensively, which has been a problem in the middle of our infield. So, you know, he's he's helping turn double plays and just a, 
a solid bench guy. You know, I, I want to compare him to Brock Holt, but I can't because Brock played everywhere. And, you know, and Reyes, at least to this point, hasn't shown that level of charisma that, that Brock had. Um, and then Brock's son, uh, you know, ended up kind of stealing a lot of the glory there towards the end. But, um, but I like Reyes. I, I hope he sticks around for the rest of the year. I think it would have been a terrible decision on Bloom's part to keep uh, Yu Chang instead. <laughs> so Bloom gets one right again. I but leave it to Bloom. Like the next day, like because it's Bloom. I mean, it wasn't a sure thing to me. Anybody else, you know, with that Grand Slam, it's a sure thing. But uh, huh. so anyway, Reyes will stay. Um, what an epic way to end game one. Yeah, he's turned into another good, like, scrap heap kind of find. You know, it's Pablo Reyes, it's Brennan Bernardino. Um, those guys have both been big contributors this year. And I guess the Red Sox just have something for stealing utility guys from that that at least were in Pittsburgh at one point. You know, Brock Holt, they, they got him directly from Pittsburgh. Pablo Reyes was initially brought to the major leagues by the Pittsburgh Pirates in 2018. Obviously, he was in Oakland this year when they got him. But, yeah, I guess he, they just have a thing for that. Um, I don't know. He's been a good contributor, though. And, look, he's he is who he is. He's a utility guy. He's getting a lot of playing time just because he's got a hot bat right now. That's great. Do I expect that there will be some regression to the mean? Of course, because I don't think that Pablo Reyes at 29 years old – you know, having bounced around as much as he has is all of a sudden going to become, you know, a 300 leadoff hitter. Um, but for right now, he's exactly what you need to stabilize that second base position, especially with Trevor Story just coming back now. Like you mentioned, he's going to need some days off here and there to, you know, really fully get back. So Reyes will do a good job filling in there as well. Um, I think obviously the manager has a lot of confidence in him to bump him up to the leadoff spot. You know, in <clears throat> what I think is a pretty important game to make sure you take three out of four against Kansas City. So um, they like him. He he seems to be very comfortable here. Um, obviously, he's getting a lot more opportunity here than he was in other destinations. So that does tend to happen. Um, but hey, if he's making the most of it and he's contributing like this, ride the hot wave, ride the wave for as long as you can. I mean. We, we kept saying this about Brock Holt back in those days, and I know that we don't want to compare him to Brock Holt just yet, but, you know, we always said, well, okay, Brock Holt's hitting well now, but eventually there's going to be a regression. But then there was that year that he just didn't regress and was, I think, our only all-star representative. I forget what year that was, but, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, crazier things have happened. So um, ride the hot wave for now. Keep Keep playing him as much as you can. At least defensively, he's steady. Even if he doesn't produce much to the plate, I'll take it. He's got good speed, too. Um, makes things happen out there. So I'm all aboard. I'm all aboard the Pablo Reyes train. And, you know, just, hey, let's see what happens at this point because this is the roster you're stuck with. So might as well. When you talk about dumpster diving, the last dumpster you ever want to dive into is Oakland's, right? <laughs> I mean, it's oh, yeah. Just, it's just trash. I mean, they would have their their best players playing. Like nobody should be slipping through the cracks in Oakland. Let's put it that way. 
you know, you go go dive in the Dodgers dumpster, the Astros dumpster. You might find some actual treasure in there. We got him from Oakland, so that's just that just makes it all that much more adorable. You know, it's funny you say that, Terry, because um, the A's cut Christian Pache, which was a big part of uh, one of the trades they made with, I think, the Matt Olson trade. Yeah. And they cut him, and he actually found a spot in Philly in the outfield as a good defender. He was providing some power. Um, the, the Guardians just picked up Ramon Laureano, like I just think the A's organization is just a dumpster fire themselves. I don't even know if the players are a dumpster fire. I just think they're in an awful situation. And I do think there actually is some value in Oakland. It just that organization had, does not want to win and they don't deserve to win. If I was any player in Oakland and I could get out, I feel like I would be reborn in another organization. And I, that's got to be Pablo Reyes. I mean, think about his life. What three months ago, he was riding buses in Double A with the worst organization in baseball, and now he was the starting shortstop for the Boston Red Sox tonight. That is a that is a massive shift for a player's life. Incredible. Yeah, the Athletics are a stupid organization. Uh, they're incredibly poorly run. Um, that's why I was saying at the deadline, go get the Paul Blackburn, Tony Kemp package because you probably won't have to give up much because Oakland's stupid and they don't really care. So they would have been like, yeah, just give us two guys from Salem that suck and you know, whatever we'll, we'll just take them because we don't care. We're moving to Vegas soon. So we don't really care right now. Um, obviously that didn't happen, but Hey, we ended up with Pablo Reyes. So we'll take that as a win. But yeah, Oakland is they're They're, they're not just a dumpster fire. They're a stupid dumpster fire. And it's just, it's not going to get any better anytime soon. It, it's kind of sad, but then again, they're going to move to Vegas and become just sort of another lifeless, you know, boring Vegas team. So maybe that's what they deserve. I don't know. But with that, we will wrap up here. Um, keep an eye out for our weekend prediction show. That's going to be coming out for your PM commute. And then we will have the bastards roundtable episode on Friday. And then after that, the weekend crew will have you guys on Monday to recap the Detroit Tigers series as old friend Eduardo Rodriguez and the Tigers are coming into Fenway this weekend. So, uh, But we'll give our predictions for that for your PM commute. So keep an eye out for that. Until then, everyone, take care.